Letters five and six of the History of Lady Barton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The History of Lady Barton by Elizabeth Griffith. Letter five. Miss Cleveland to Lady Barton, Dover Street. I received my dear sister's two letters from Wales together, and am pleased to find that you illustrate your own remark on the good effects which change of objects produce upon our minds. I have always thought that in the separation of two persons who love each other, the one who is left is by far the greatest sufferer. The mind, in spite of us, must necessarily in some degree accompany, or rather attend upon, the body, and while that is in motion, it feels a kind of rotation also. Bow banish bow, and coaches, coaches drive. And now I talk of coaches. I have never set my foot in ours since you left London. I begin to think that this is carrying the idea of locality too far, and will therefore order it to set me down at the playhouse this evening. Your description of South Britain has increased my curiosity, but not my desire of travelling through it. For what can augment my wishes to see you? Your first letter affected me extremely. Oh, beware of a propensity to unhappiness, my much-loved sister. Sir William has a roughness in his manner, which I really believe to be more owing to an illiberal education than a coarse mind. I say illiberal, though I know he was bred at a college. Learning and science may be there acquired, but, alas, I fear the professors of universities do not attend much to les petites morales. There are many men weak enough to imagine that an affectation of contempt for the understandings of women is proof sufficient of the superiority of their own. But these persons ought never to marry, for we can neither love those we despise nor those who seem to despise us. But I am far from imagining this to be Sir William's case. I know he both loves and esteems my Louisa, though he be deficient in that sort of gallant address which might better enable him to show his sentiments. But how few husbands are there, after all, even in what is styled polite life, who seem to think such an attention necessary? I affirm it to be absolutely so, for they must be sad philosophers indeed who mistake the possession of a treasure for the enjoyment of it. But I will not forgive your trifling with your own happiness by seeming to doubt a fact on which alone it can be founded. I am glad you have happened to meet with the gentleman you mention. Agreeable society is always pleasing to a rational mind but more particularly so when there is any little difficulty, danger, or fatigue to encounter. And notwithstanding your flourishing description of Wales, I cannot help thinking that a journey through it must be attended, in some degree, with those slight evils I have mentioned. My brother has been remarkably grave ever since you left us, but I will not flatter you by imputing his reserve entirely to your absence. His Delia, his beloved Miss Colville, is going to France, with her ridiculous mother, and ill-used as my sensible brother has been by that absurd widow, I have no doubt but he will be weak enough to follow her daughter there, and leave poor solitary me to pass the winter, to Sol, in Dover Street. I have told him, and I really believe it, that Mrs. Colville has no exception either to his person, rank, or fortune, though she will never consent to his marrying her daughter, but I am persuaded that she would most readily accept of him herself. Sir George cannot help smiling when I talk in this strain, though he affects to be displeased at what he calls my folly. I know that you will expect that I should say something of myself. Alas, Louisa, my history, like poor Viola's, is a blank. I have not received a line from Lord Hume since I saw you. 
My apprehensions for his health and safety are, however, relieved by a letter his sister had from him, dated at Siena a few days ago. I will believe, for his sake as well as my own, that he has written to me. A letter may miscarry. I have often heard that the posts upon the continent are not so regular as ours. I will believe anything but that he has forgotten me. Is this philosophy or vanity? And is my opinion of his constancy founded on his merits or my own? I ask questions without wishing to have them resolved. Adieu, my only confidant, my much-loved sister. Adieu. F. Cleveland. P.S. Sir George's best affections, along with mine, wait on Sir William and our dear Louisa. Mary Granville is at Bath with her aunt. Letter 6. Miss Cleveland to Lady Barton. London. Why, surely, my dear Louisa, you intend to publish your travels, and to push Madame de Scudery from the shelf she has so long usurped in the ladies' library. What a sweet romance is yours! What hairbreadth scapes! What amazing perils by sea and by land! What imminent danger of passing your life on a desolate island, which, by the way, would, I fear, had you remained there, have become a dissolute one, for I don't find that you had a parson among you, and I have doubts whether the colonel and the widow would have waited till another shipwreck might have sent you a Jonas. As to Lucy and Lord Lucan, to be sure they would have remained in a state of perfect purity, and Sir William and you are already joined in the holy bands of matrimony, so that, upon a fair calculation, I do not think that your community would have been worse than the rest of this habitable globe, for one couple of delinquents in three is as little as can be expected, even in the island of saints, of which you are happily now become an inhabitant, or in the territories of His Holiness the Pope, where all should be perfect. But a truce with badinage, and be assured, my dear sister, that I felt for your distresses, and sincerely rejoice at your safe arrival in Dublin. I both love and admire, though not without a little mixture of envy, your generous hosts. What extreme pleasure must they have received from such a noble exercise of their benevolence and hospitality? All girls build castles. Mine have always been situated on a sea-coast, and in them have I often received shipwrecked princesses and drowning heroes. I have chafed their temples and rubbed their hands for whole hours, and when my great care and humanity have brought them back to this world of woes, they have repaid my pains by a faithful recital of their doleful adventures. I once fell in love with a man I never saw for the same sentiment. I did not then imagine I should ever have so near and dear a connection as my Louisa, involved in the reality of such a dreadful situation, and now may heaven be praised for my loved sister's preservation. I like your description of the colonel much. One knows abundance of table-drawers, though not all as well furnished as yours. But I do not much like the character. Smatterers in science are generally triflers in everything. That same want of stability which prevents their being master of any art, like a shaken marble runs through the whole block, and lessens the value of every part. I should not like such a man, either as a friend or lover, though he may perhaps be an agreeable acquaintance. I am much more charmed with your Lucy, your little pocket iris. I hope she always wears changeable silks, and alters them from grave to gay according to the complexion of the day. I did not mean to rhyme, as you may see by my mode of writing. I agree with you that those transitions you mention may possibly be owing rather to particular circumstances than a peculiar inconsistency of mind. The latter would render her contemptible. The former entitles her to our tenderness and love. I think, even from the slight account you have given of her, there must be a charming frankness in her manner, 
which is one of the first qualities I would seek for in a friend. Life is not long enough, but were I an antediluvian, I should not think it worth while to seek for a heart that is wrapped up in a hundred and fifty envelopes. Encaire serait would disgust me, though the possessor of it had ten thousand amiable qualities. I think that your misfortunes, with regard to the storm, like most other disasters, have been productive of some good, by bringing you acquainted with Miss Lester. But what have you done with Lord Lucan? When the pencil and palette were in your hands, why lay them by without giving a sketch of him? I should fancy from his rueful, oh, can no, that there were traits of character sufficient to mark him by. If so, I desire that you will resume your new calling, and let me have a full length of his lordship by the next post. Sir George, as I guessed, actually intends to set out for Paris in a fortnight. I am strongly tempted to accompany him, Louisa. I should then be on the same continent, nay, perhaps in the same city with Lord Hume, for as his route is not absolutely determined, I think it is most likely that he will pass the winter in Paris, as I know it is his favorite city. But then, may not my delicacy be wounded by its being said, or even thought, that I pursued him thither? And to what end? If his heart, as I much fear, be already estranged, will my presence recall it? Ah, no. To what, then, should I expose myself? To be slighted by the man I love? Oh, never. Never. In woods and deserts let me rather dwell, and hide my woes in solitude. I now wish I had gone with you to Ireland, and yet I should not choose to be farther removed from that blessed spot, where'er it be, for at present I know not, that holds my happiness, perhaps my misery. How can you say, Louisa, that love is a consistent passion? Alas, you know it not. Ten thousand contradictory wishes are born and perish in my mind in the same moment, and yet there was a time when you, my sister, used to blame my calmness, and upbraid me with having too much philosophy. Where is that calmness, that philosophy fled to now? Oh, let me once more woo them to my breast, and be what I then was, your happy as well as affectionate sister, F. Cleveland. P.S. You will perceive by this long epistle that I have received both your letters from Dublin. I do not, my dear, expect two for one, but the first came last night when I happened to be out, and the last arrived this morning. You may also perceive I began my letter with an affected gaieté de cœur, and ended it in real sadness. I had determined not to mention Lord Hume, but my brother's coming into my dressing-room and telling me of his going to Paris threw me off my guard. Excuse my weakness, my loved, my dear Louisa. End of Letter 6